0: Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Your dear, precious Son, Jesus, our King, our Savior, our Lord, by the Spirit of God, Father, we ask that You would take Your Word and open it unto us. Would You bring light in our midst afresh this morning just like You did that morning of Your birth, Jesus, when You came into a dark world and brought light. Oh, would You bring light to us this morning? Thank You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas is so, so special. Of course, the lights, the gifts, the presents, watching young children. Of course Titus is not gonna know much about this. Our grandson. We got a picture last night. He's got a little oh. dimple right there. Oh my you to have grandchildren, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You just keep looking at the pictures. reminds us so much of our son and of course our daughter. Christmas is such a special time as each of us know it and we're grateful for it. Uh, beyond We understand as Christmas is this, and here's the point. God came near. God is with us. Emmanuel. This is from Isaiah seven fourteen. Emmanuel, God with us. It's Matthew one twenty-three. God with us. We're going to look into that this morning. The, the impossible becomes possible with God. We're going to look at... It's going to take us a little time to build there, but we're going to look at the incarnation this So, uh, for many of us, it's such a big word. We, we may hear that word thrown around a bit. Incarnation. Not reincarnation. <laughs> incarnation. And I want you to look at four letters in the middle of the word "carn." C A R N. Carn. The word "carn" is short for carnal. So you remember, like right when the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians three, he's he's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, "You're you're carnal men. You're fleshly." You're not thinking and living by the Spirit. You're walking in your flesh. You're carnal men. The incarnation is corn, flesh. So the incarnation is God becomes a man. God, Spirit, Jesus takes on flesh. That is what the incarnation is all about. We're going to look at that here today. Turn with me to Psalm 73. This verse has been upon me for some time. And I just want to read it and uh, begin allowing it to open up to us some things this morning. Psalm 73, the last verse. That which is impossible with man is possible with God. And we find that so specific when we look at this time of Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation of God becoming a man. We'll look at the journey of this very verse here. Psalm 73, verse 28. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all His works. The nearness of God is our good. This word good is used uh, probably a dozen times in Genesis 1. It's the Hebrew word tove. God made all things good when He finished all of His works, He said it's very good. It's very close. This is the word used here that the nearness of God is our close. It's our good. I will to tell you, the distance of God is our bad. We don't want distance. How many of you know the days when you feel the absence, the silence of God? Oh no. I'm telling you, there are days over 35, 38 years of walking with Jesus where I have felt, and I know you have, the distance, the silence, the absence of God. That's not where we want to live. And so this whole season is about God coming close. God coming near us. I want to look at this word for just a moment. The word nearness. The nearness of God is our good. This word nearness is used in the New Testament. It's carried over from Hebrew to Greek. But here's the word. It is, um, let me see if I can remember it, pros proskaleo. Kale. Pros, pros means near. Kalao means to glue or to cement. To fasten something. So think about this word that's being used of nearness. It means to be near, but with glue, with cement, to fasten it close. It is interesting that this word nearness in Psalm seventy-three twenty-eight, the nearness of God is our good. This word nearness is used in the Greek language in Ephesians five twenty-one, five thirty-one. Think about this. He says, "...a man shall leave his father and mother and do what? Cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh." The word cleave is this word proskolao. And so the idea is this, the way a man and a woman are to join together and cleave to one another like glue, to be and close. This is what God desires for His people, is that He would be near us. I don't want to speak so much about us, yeah, yeah, amen, us being near God this morning. I want to look at a historical journey of how God comes near to man. In other words, I want you to see in the heart of God it is His design. It's His very desire that He will be near us. And I think when you see the journey, the incarnation, Merry Christmas, this season will make more sense. So we're going to go back. We're going to begin looking at this idea of the nearness of God and that historical journey. We're going to go back to Genesis, and then we're going to come forward in just a moment. I want you to think again about. Because I, I really, my heart goes out to us. I want to ask: this. Are any of you walking today, living like in the present, over the last season, maybe even now, you have a sense of distance with God? You have a sense of His silence in your life. That's not a good place to be. And my heart goes out to us in this. Because the nearness of God is our And so, I want to say two things about this just as a little side note, okay? If you're feeling distance with God, number one, it may be a divine invitation There's at times where God will give a sense of the absence of His presence and the silence of His voice, but it is a divine invitation for us to come out of where we are and draw near to Him. Okay? So it may be a divine invitation. Number two, but usually when we sense distance with God, it's usually a some area of a human violation. We have violated or transgressed. We have turned from the Lord in some way. And if that's true, then we simply recognize any area or pattern of sin in our lives because we know that sin brings a distance and separation. If there's any sense of distance with the Lord this morning in your life, I ask this of us, we just simply need to bring anything in our lives that's creating the distance. Let's bring it before the Lord. Even now. Father, You are show us this morning your intention, your inclination, your design, your very desire, the longing of your heart to belong near us, to be among your people. God, that you desire to be near us. And we thank you, God, that your nearness is our good. But God, I pray over the flock today Father, if there's any distance, absence, silence with You, God, I ask You even now, would You show us the root substance of anything that's creating the divide? Father, would You come by Your Spirit and Your Word and show us anything, God, that's keeping You hidden from us? Open our eyes, God, even this morning. Speak to us, even in this moment right now. That, God, we will come and we would repent. God, we will bring anything under the blood of the Lamb of God that, Lord, we can be reconciled afresh with You. God, I pray for any who are encountering shame this morning. Hiddenness. Lord, any who are living under a burden, under the weight of accusation, under the weight of condemnation, any among us who are feeling pushed down, weighty, the gravity, God, of this age seems to rest upon us and You are distanced from us. Oh God, I pray over us this morning that we would see Your glory. We would behold Him your desire to be near us, would you come and speak in our midst, Lord? Thank you that you're the God who draws near. Oh, we bless you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're going to peer into a historical journey and just going to hit some some hot spots, some some highlights. We're going to look into the historical journey of the nearness of God. And here's what I want you to see. God Himself closes the gap. It's not what we do that closes the gap. God closes the gap of the distance. We're going to see that here, okay? He is the One who draws near. Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. He's the gap closer. (laughs) Thank You, Lord. Because the nearness of God is our good. Oh, we want You near, Lord. Thank You. So let's go back to the garden creation. We're looking around 4,000 B.C. I'm an early earth guy. Don't believe we're looking at millions and billions of years. About 4,000 B.C. is creation. So, we're, we're looking at about 6,000 years of history at this point. And so, we understand this. If you, if you look, um, Psalm 103. Just go forward a few pages since you were there in the Psalms. Um, I want you to see that in the beginning, God had two dwelling places. God dwelled on high in the height of the heavens. Let's look at it. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. So, in the beginning, God set a throne in the height of the heavens, and that is his dwelling place. But also, when you put Genesis 2 and 3, I was talking about this some on Wednesday night. When you take Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you put Ezekiel 28 together, there was a holy mountain in Eden, and there was a garden to the east of Eden where He set Adam and Eve. But on that mountain is known as the holy mountain of God. God dwelled in the height of the heavens, but He would come down on that holy mountain to dwell among Adam and Eve. This was two dwelling places of God in the beginning. Now, when you see that, it's like, wow, God is not just a distant God living somewhere way out there in the cosmos. Way out there in the in the height of the universe, although he is there, but he also has this raging desire to be near us. And so he set a throne there. He set a place on the holy mountain in the beginning, Ezekiel twenty eight, where he would come and he would sit, and he would dwell. And there was a river flowing from that throne through the garden that brought life to the tree of life. And it brought life to Adam and Eve for sure. So, this lets us know that in the beginning, God was not just in the heavens. He also dwelled on the holy mountain. So we have both. That's important for us to see because as we move forward, you'll see the mirror at the end. Look at look at Revelation 21. Tyler preached on this in our last session on restoration when we were doing God's story. But let me just read a couple of verses because I want you to see from the beginning to the end it is God's design, and it is his desire to dwell in the midst of his people. Look at Revelation 21. Verses 1 through 5 says So, not only in the beginning, but in the new beginning, when God comes to cleanse the heavens and the earth of corruption, sin, there's going to be new heavens and a new earth because they're going to be cleansed. Okay? They're going to be cleansed of evil and corruption. They're going to be cleansed of sin. Satan and demons will be cleansed away. And God will come back and dwell among men. Amen. Amen. Look at Revelation 21.1. I saw a new heaven, a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, meaning they were cleansed, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them amen just as it was in the beginning at the i don't want to say at the end because it's not the end it's the new beginning that God will be look at verse 4 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes he sees your tears beloved but He will wipe them away in that day. There will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning. No crying. No pain. The first things have passed away. Verse 5, He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. This is called the restoration of all things. Amen. And we look forward to that day when God will come and tabernacle among men again. So between the beginning and the new beginning, let's watch how God journeys. Now, I want you to think with me. Okay, 4,000 B.C. is that Genesis 1-2-3. Go forward 2,500 years and get with me to Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 19. So, guys, when Moses shows up, it's it's 1500 B.C. Exodus 19. And here's just think with me for a moment. Think out loud with me for a second here. It's been 2,500 years. Yes, God has been active. Yes, God has been speaking. Yes, God has been leading. But from the time He was on the holy mountain... In Genesis 2 and 3, now in Exodus 19 and 20, it's been 2,500 years and God comes down on Mount Sinai. And it says that they saw the glory of God in Exodus 19 and 20. But get to Exodus 25. Here's what we want to see. 2,500 years. It's as though God is not in a hurry. And He's now... Coming to Moses, and you're going to speak a powerful thing. Look at Exodus 25, verse 2. Now this is in the context of Him coming down. Moses has gone up on Sinai, by the way. Moses is on Sinai hanging out with Yahweh. He's on a 40-day fast. Did you know that? And He had no water or food. How many have ever done one day, (laughs) no food, no water, can you imagine? Forty days, no food, no water. This is called a supernatural fast. The presence of God Himself was sustaining Moses. And Moses is receiving like the blueprint for the tabernacle and all kinds of things. But look what God says to him. Exodus 25, verse 2. Moses, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for Me. What? God's like, yep, get the offering played out. (laughs) Raise a donation, a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him. Raise my contribution. And what is the contribution? Get all their gold and silver. You know what? Everything that they collected in Egypt, He said, get the gold and the silver. Get it all because you're going to build me a tabernacle and it's going to be a tent out in the middle of the desert for 40 years called the Tabernacle of Moses. And God will come down right in a cloud by day and a fire by night. Now look at 25.8. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may what? That I may dwell among them. It is God's desire to dwell. Verse 9, according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furniture, you shall construct it. The pattern of what is in heaven, according to Hebrews 8, 1-5, through Moses was able to see what it looked like in heaven. I want you to copy that in the tabernacle you're getting ready to build on the earth. And I will come, and I will dwell over the ark in the Holy of Holies, and I will be among you. Look at verse 22, Exodus 25. I will meet with you there above the mercy seat between the two cherubim upon the ark of the testimony, and I will speak to you about all that I will give you as commandments for the sons of Israel. God's desire is to dwell among us that He might meet, meet with us and speak to us. This is what we ought to be coming to church for. Beyond fellowshipping with one another, we've come to meet with God and to hear His Word. This is what is necessary for us as His people. We want to meet with God His presence and we want to hear from Him His Word. This is how we live sustained by God. His presence and His Word. And so He set this out in the beginning. All right, let's go forward. Now, you know that that tabernacle out in 40 years out in the wilderness, God would say, lift up, time to go. When God would go, the cloud would lift, a a cloud by day and a fire by night, God, God would lift from the Holy of Holies It was time to move. You know know what God teaches us there? You move when I move. You move on My terms, not Your own. Have we lost that today? We move when God moves. We, We go forward when God speaks. And yet, when God says, wait, you wait. Amen. Now, in this context... God lifts, you remember Joshua takes them into the promised land, and that tabernacle of Moses becomes the tabernacle of the Lord for 400 years, that tabernacle that God told Moses to build, it's in a place called Shiloh, It's, it's 20 miles north of Jerusalem for 400 years, if you remember 1 Samuel, this is where Eli and his two wicked sons and Samuel show up, It's in the tabernacle of the Lord in Shiloh for 400 years. You know, when we think through that, you start looking at David. King David shows up. Do you know King Saul did not seek the ark for 20 years? And yet David found the ark that was taken out into an open field by the Philistines. David found the ark of God. The most sacred piece to the tabernacle. David found the ark out in an open field. And he came, remember, dancing naked. I don't know, maybe a long call. <laughs> he came dancing naked through the streets of Jerusalem. You remember his wife, Michael, disdained him? David is dancing and rejoicing before the Lord, bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And he brings it under a tent for 33 years of day and night prayer and worship. And it's, again, God desiring to be near His people, and David went and found that ark, and David would sit before the presence of the Lord, beholding the glory and the beauty of the Lord. One last piece. I won't turn there. I'm just going to let me just hit this real quick. Uh, David's a thousand BC. Then we get to his son. Solomon, right? Around 970, 950 B.C. Now remember, this is over 3,000 years now. From 4,000 to the beginning, God is still wanting to come close. Here's the interesting. David, just like Moses did not get a chance to go into the promised land Joshua did, David did not build the temple his son Solomon did. But what God gave David two things. God gave David the blueprints. And He gave them to His son Solomon to build the temple. And number two, God gave David the finances to handle the cost. I have some good buddies who actually did the math of what that temple cost. And what David actually gave as a gift to his son Solomon to build the temple where God would come and dwell in Jerusalem. $85 billion in our time. In our, in our money today. It was gold and silver and you just can't imagine what David gave. David was a wealthy man. And yet, he gave the blueprints and the finances to his son Solomon to build the temple. Why? Because God, David was extravagant with the, his finances. Why? Because he knew that the temple was the place of the dwelling of God. Amen. So in the beginning... And by the way when when they opened day one the temple was opened up did you know that the priest could not even function read it again you get some homework this afternoon second chronicles uh, 5 yeah second chronicles 567 says that the priest could not even minister you know why because the glory of God was so present the presence of God was so manifest in the temple, it says that the priests fell down. They could not even minister. What would that be like if God just flattened us all? We could not preach. We could not sing. We could not lift a hand to serve. We were just laid out in the presence and the glory of God. That's what it was like on the opening day of the temple. Read it again. Second Chronicles 5-7 through In the beginning to the history of Israel, to the new beginning of the restoration of all things. This is the pattern of God. God orchestrates all of history to close the gap, to, to bring heaven and earth together. It's, it's God saying this. My nearness is drawing near. My nearness. I'm coming close. My nearness, I desire to dwell among you. My nearness, I want to dwell with man. This is the heart of God. I want to tell you I did all that historical background to save this. The temple. 4,000 years from Genesis. Ah, took on flesh. Look at it with me. John 1, and we'll pull this together. John 1. You know what's interesting as a side note? see God's intention, His design, His desire to be near us from the beginning? I think it makes a lot more sense to understand the incarnation when you understand God has always wanted to be closer. (laughs) Closer. Of course, He's coming to dwell in Jerusalem, brothers, sisters, amen. John 1, quick side note. Matthew gives us like the story of Joseph and and Mary and the Magi, right? Luke gives us like the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. and He gives us the narrative. John, he just like drops it in your lap. He just gives us the basic like boom. And here it is. Look at it. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning, all. You think he's pulling from something here. (laughs) He's drawing out of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. This is one of those key verses where we understand the divinity of Jesus. That indeed He is God. But look at verse 14. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's why I did the background with the tabernacle. Because this Word is the Word being used regarding the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of the Lord, the tabernacle of David, back to the temple of Solomon. God has come to dwell among us. The Word is actually, the better rending of the Word is tabernacled. God became a man and tabernacled among us. God came to live and dwell among men. He took on... Come on, touch yourself real quick. He, he, I mean, God, this is the impossible with man. It's possible with God. God took on flesh. He put on skin because He wanted to be close and close and closer to us. Oh, thank You, Lord. So this is the beauty of God closing the gap His nearness, His closeness, wow. And I can say right here that when I go into Walmart, when I go into the restaurant this season, when I say Merry Christmas, this is what's on my mind. I'm not thinking about lights and gifts and presents. When I say Merry Christmas to people, I am saying the light of the world has come. I'm saying God became a man. I'm thinking in my heart that God Closed the gap. And God has become a man because He wanted to be near us. I hope that blesses you maybe even to lift us up out of a slump, out of depression, out of shame and guilt and accusations and condemnation. God wants to be near us. Amen. Let me make just a last statement or two. This is interesting. When God in Jesus, yes, becomes a man, He did not lose His godness. He did not lose His divinity in the incarnation. But secondly, when He ascended back to heaven where He is now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, He did not lose His manness, nor did He lose His humanity he is the god man sitting at the right hand of the father. He is in a glorified body that we will receive at the resurrection. Amen. But I just let you know that he again, he's a 5 foot 8 Jewish man. I'm 5 8. I just mess with people when I say that. He is a Jewish man. I don't know. He might be 5 6. I don't know. We don't know how tall Jesus was, but he's a Jewish man, but he's the god man. And He did not lose His godness when He came to earth. And He did not lose His humanity when He went to heaven. And He's coming back as the God-Man. And He will dwell among us and it will be good because the nearness of God is our good. So guys, you know, this season is special, right? But it's special because Jesus is special. And I just hope again today we we see it afresh that, yes, there's no crucifixion. There's no resurrection. There's no ascension. There's no day of the Lord. There's no future coming kingdom of the Messiah in the age to come without the incarnation of God becoming a man. Amen. The impossible with man has become possible with God. Live, beloved, here's my heart today. Live in the nearness of God. Live in the nearness of God. Merry Christmas. Live in the nearness of God. Last verse. I'm not going to turn there. I'm going to quote it. When Jesus lived, leaves the earth, right, right before, between his resurrection and the ascension, 40 days, Jesus gave a great commission. You remember that? And Matthew twenty-eight twenty says this. And remember this. And know this. I, Jesus says this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Merry Christmas, beloved. Live in His nearness. He's near us. I am with you always, even to the end of the age know the nearness of the presence of Jesus, and it is our good. Merry Christmas. Amen. (laughs) Somebody come to jail. Okay, amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we tell you today, You're special. You are the babe in a manger, but You're the King on a coming throne. Jesus, we bless You and honor You today. Jesus, we can say this today as we sang earlier. We adore You. We exalt You. We bless You. We honor You, Jesus. We love You. You're the God-man. You're the God-man. None like You, Jesus, every knee in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that You are the Lord. You're special, Jesus. You're special. We love You. We love You today. Thank You, Jesus. You're the most precious gift that we will receive ever. And we remember you today. Merry Christmas. We love you. Bless you, Lord. Let's worship the Lord. And I trust, even in this song, I would encourage you to just stay seated. receive from the Lord. And I trust that we know the nearness of God and His manifest presence right here, right now. The nearness of God is our good. Amen.